This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. If you're looking for a better way to manage your debt, there's five debt management resources that BC consumers can access for free. And Blair has said this a number of times, knowing is not owing. Uh, each year, thousands of people across the province get professional debt help solutions from licensed insolvency trustees, which, of course, that's what Blair is. And there's, what, about a 1,000 in the country. Is that still correct, Blair? That's about right, yep. So the thing is, you guys talk to people every day about all the different options to help them manage their debts. And you've talked before that there are solutions that people can take on their own to better manage their debts. Let's talk about those. And what's the first free resource that you think we should know about? I'm really excited for today's segment, Elaine, because I love the idea of a free resource. And uh, what I want to do today is to explain, you know, these are all pretty simple stuff. They're not going to cost you anything. And again, as we've talked a number of times, I believe there's, you know, there's some objectives in the financial um, financial system to make things seem more complicated than they are. And they're really not. It's relatively straightforward. And the five things I'm going to talk to you about today, they're all very straightforward. And I think people will say, oh, well, that makes a whole lot of sense. I wonder why no one else told me about them before. So I hope people do get some value out of what we're going to say today. So the number one thing here is to check your credit history or your credit report. This is something you can do absolutely free, um, but it's not going to be you know, the easiest way to find this. If you go, there's two credit bureaus in Canada. There's Equifax and there's TransUnion. If you go on their website, you know, you'll see all these offers for getting, you know, credit score monitoring on a monthly basis, you know, pay $24.95 to get your credit report instantly online. Um, but it's always been the case, you can get your long form credit report, you know, the one that runs for 10 plus pages, depending on how many accounts you have open, you can get that for free once a year, just by asking for it just by sending in a specified request form and they will mail you a long form copy of your credit report. So to access that form, if you go to my website, which is sans-trustee.com and down at the bottom of the homepage, you'll see a button for client resources. We've got a link to each of the forms for Equifax and TransUnion. And if you just send it away, you send a couple copies of your ID, you tell them your address. Within about a week or two, you'll get your long form credit report and it's Almost every time when I pulled my credit report, I found at least one or two accounts that maybe weren't reporting accurately. I found addresses that I didn't live at. I found employers I haven't had before. And it makes a lot of sense because, you know, 30 plus million Canadians, a lot of data points on each Canadian, it's possible for things to get filed under the wrong person. And if it's something that's delinquent, you know, showing that you've missed payments where you could when you haven't, um, you know, you might only find out about that when you're trying to apply for a mortgage or apply for a car loan. And when you tell the person, well, that has nothing to do with me, I'll say, well, you better, better go get that corrected. But nothing is instant with credit bureaus. It can take weeks or months to get something corrected. And that might put the deal that you're trying to get done for a house or a car in jeopardy. So it's really important people access their credit report. I generally recommend about once a year. Uh, what's happened recently as well is both Equifax and TransUnion during the time of the COVID-19 pandemic, they're actually giving 
getting free online access. So it's even easier than ever before. Again, you have to navigate a bit on the website, keep clicking away from where they're trying to charge you money. But uh, TransUnion is calling it a consumer disclosure report. I'm not sure the terminology Equifax is using, but they both said publicly they're now giving free online access to credit reports. So I encourage all lenders, uh, sorry, all individuals to go and check uh, your credit reports um, as quickly as you can and just to see if there are any inaccuracies there to correct. Okay. And so you advise people minimum once a year to do that? Absolutely. Yes. Okay, great. So the next tip, um, and this is going to take some explaining for sure, is the statute of limitations. And is this something that anyone or everyone should pay attention to? Or is it just if you've been in debt for a long time? Or what's the best way to approach it? Well, I think what, we'll start off by defining it first and saying who should pay attention to it. Um, so what happens is in a statute of limitations, you know, for many, many things in life, uh, if something happens to you and you decide, you know, I'm not going to make a big deal about it for now, but, you know, maybe in the future I'm going to going to make a big stink about it. Uh, there could be a period of time where you run out of time, you know, to essentially to make a claim against somebody because they've wronged you. What this right. means when it comes to debt is, uh, say I've borrowed money from you, Elaine, and I don't pay you. You know, we, we said I was going to pay you every month and I stopped paying you, you can't come back 10 years later and say, hey, Blair, you know, you were supposed to make payments. 10 years have gone by and you haven't made payments. I want all the money now. Uh What the law says is you've got two years from the date when I was supposed to make a payment to when you have to bring a court action against me for payments. And if two years go by and you haven't brought that court action, you lose the right to ever bring that court action. So where it can make sense is if someone is, you know, maybe 70, 80 years old, they're not too concerned about their credit rating, and they owe money to a bank that they're just not going to be able to pay off, you know, given that their pension income and nothing is going to be additional to that. You know, they could decide to file a bankruptcy or file a proposal, or they could just decide to say, well, I'm not able to pay this bank. You know, if the bank really wants to take me to court at that point, I might hire a trustee and do a bankruptcy or a proposal, but I might just wait this out for two years, and if the bank decides not to sue me, then I'm going to know for the rest of my life, the bank can never sue me on this debt. I just can stop worrying about it. So what did it cost me to, you know, basically get out from under that debt? Nothing other than waiting two years from the date of the last payment. So there's a lot of intricacies to this. You know, if it's a government debt, there is no statute of limitations. If you've already been sued for the debt, there is no statute of limitations. Uh, But in many, many cases, if you've just got one consumer debt, maybe it's been hanging around for a long time, it's well beyond two years since you last made a payment, you can sleep soundly knowing that you could never be compelled or forced to pay that debt if a court action was brought against you. Uh, in, in this situation, it sounds like you're the person who uh, who I'd want to talk to first before thinking about taking this kind of action or not taking this kind of action. Absolutely. I would say reach out to a licensed insolvency trustee because, you know, this is not the low risk way to go. It's not the low stress way to go in many cases, but it can be the right way to go if you just really can't afford to make payments. And it can be great peace of mind to know it's not going to be the rest of your life. You have to be worried. It's literally two years from the date of your last payment. Yeah. Sounds like a good idea. What about those uh, collection calls that we often hear about and and get, even if we don't owe anybody anything? I mean, my Mm -hmm. gosh, the number of phone calls I get on a regular basis, whether it be at my home line or my cell phone, it's crazy, uh, you know, people telling me I owe the money. But I mean, let's say I did. And what about those collection calls? Is there anything we can do about that? 
Well, absolutely. You know, creditors have the right to call you. You have the right to hang up the phone. So there's no point would you ever be compelled to have to speak to anybody about your debt. But that's obviously not a very comfortable thing to be doing, to hang, be hanging up in people's faces. Um, you know, for anybody who hasn't had the pleasure of having a collection call, um, you know, I had a debt a few years ago uh, with a rental car company. Um, the insurance company was paying them out within a few months, uh, but they also assigned it to a collection agent. And I could not explain to this collection agent, I couldn't get two words out before they were down my throat telling me I was a very bad person and I was a right. legal professional so you know I knew not to be intimidated by this and I knew you know, everything's going to get resolved so you can imagine somebody who doesn't have the same background as a licensed insolvency trustee when they hear somebody speaking in a very formal tone who's talking down to them who requires that you address them as Mr. So-and-so but they'll use your first name and throw it out no matter what um, it can be a very unpleasant situation to find yourself in the For province sure. of BC has some of the best consumer protection legislation in Canada and they've put out a letter called a request for communication in writing only and that is exactly as it sounds when you send that to a creditor it is a legally binding requirement that they no longer call you that they send you letters instead and you can imagine the threats the tone the innuendos what they might try to say over the phone if they have to write that down they know that could end up on the front page of the Vancouver Sun the next day <laughs> something that's really you know over, beyond the pale so they're going to be Absolutely. very careful about that yeah. So all, all you need to do is send that letter. Uh, it's a letter you can find from Consumer Protection BC, or as with many useful things, you'll find it on the SANS-Trustee website. Again, go to the homepage, click on Client Resources, and you'll find that letter. You just fill it in who is the collector. Now, it's important that you keep a record of when you've sent this and to who, because you can imagine they're going to say, we didn't get this letter. And then you say, well, I mailed it to you on this date. I've got a return mail. Uh, you know, I did registered mail, so I've got a receipt for it. Um, and then after you've documented a few times, you'll find the calls are going to stop completely or you'll complain to Consumer Protection BC and they'll get involved with fines or even re removing collector's licenses. So it's a real thing with some teeth. Okay, excellent. Now, uh, what's the fourth resort, uh, resource that you want to tell someone about? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this one I've headlined as consolidate without borrowing. So most of the time, if people are in debt, they try to consolidate, they approach their bank and they say, you know, if I'm paying 19% on all my debts, I'd rather, you know, pay a whole lot less than that through a consolidation loan, maybe pay 10 or 11 or 12%, which sounds great. But a lot of the time people have difficulty qualifying for a consolidation loan, because you have to have either really great income or a lot of assets you can pledge to the bank. And most of the time, if you have those things, you might not need to consolidate or you might not be in debt. The way a consumer proposal works is it costs you nothing beyond what you can afford to repay as a consolidated amount. So it puts all of your debt together and it does one better than a consolidation loan and then it reduces the debts down to what you can afford and it saves you all the interest as well. So where it's free is that whatever you can afford to pay back on the debts, if you owe 30000 you can afford to pay back 10000 That's all that you pay back and the trustee gets paid out of that amount that you can afford to offer. So there's no cost above and beyond the amount you can afford to pay to settle your debts. Okay. Um, there's a, the thing that I want I wanted to ask too about this is that we we talk a lot about license insolvency trustees and and how they work. How do you get paid for your service? Because it is a business, even though you're federally regulated, you've got to pay the bills. So how do you get yep. paid for me when I come to you? 
Yeah, that's a great question, Elaine. When I you know, tell people, say at a cocktail party, I'm a trustee, and people say, well, how do you get paid if people have no money? Well, at the end of the day, if you're going to do a bankruptcy, for example, if you're low income, you pay $200 a month for nine months, the majority of that goes to the trustee to cover the cost of administration. If you're paying more than $1,800, the majority of it goes to your creditors, and the trustee gets a portion of it for cost of administration. Uh, okay. If you're doing a consumer proposal, if you're paying back $300 a month, for example, the trustee will get a portion of that, I think about 50 or 60 dollars and that on that basis um, on a monthly basis uh, basically as their fee so the trustee gets a portion of what you're paying back either in a bankruptcy or a proposal but it's never a separate bill it's never something um, that's you know can be scaled up or down based on time it's all set by a government tariff excellent okay and in the last minute or so i really want you to talk about getting that free debt advice from a licensed insolvency trustee and how that works and why why it can work so well for folks yep so if you take nothing else away from this segment, just realize there are professionals out there that are committed to helping you understand all of your options, and they do this for free. So at Sands & Associates, we have 19 offices. We help people all across the province, and it's no cost, no obligation. We'll sit down with you. We'll be over the phone or on Zoom or whatever, explain to you all of your options, explain to you what you can do. If that solution doesn't include us, that's totally fine. You'll never get a bill for our services. We just want to help you move forward. It's such a great, such a great service too. Um, uh, you're there if if I need you to to take some action and to start a process, or just for good information. And if you're not quite at that place yet where you want to make a call and sit down to somebody, uh, talk to somebody, which I totally suggest you do because they're just really good people. Everybody that we've had on the show has been so easy to talk to and and such good communicators check out their website at sands-trustee.com just so much good information on there good questions very thorough answers covering all kinds of topics to do with debt and how to give you a, to give you a hand up uh, the 1-800 number if you'd like it is 1-800-661-3030 to get the free consultation or to find an office near you Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So this segment, it's a great one, because I know we've heard from Blair so many times about credit card debt seems to be sort of the first thing that pushes people to really realize that they're in trouble because they can't get ahead of it. So we're going to talk about credit cards before, during, and after the bank, after a bankruptcy. Uh, Blair's going to walk us through all things related to credit card debt. Uh, Blair, and I know you guys, you and your team help people from all different backgrounds deal with all kinds of different kinds of debt, uh, and so that they can get a financial fresh, fresh start. Can we talk about some common warning signs that debts from credit cards in particular I'd like to focus on where it, you know you're heading for trouble? Yeah, certainly, Elaine. And, you know, the reason for the focus on credit cards is as we survey our, our clients every year, you know, when we say to them, what's the main debt, the main reason that you're here, the main thing that caused you the problem, over 55% of our respondents said it was credit card debt that got me here. So it is the most dominant debt that we see. Um, just about everybody that we're doing a filing for, even if income taxes is their main issue, there's always some credit card debt attached there as well. So it's something that a lot of people are facing and it's it's very, very easy to get into credit card debt to get one that becomes another that becomes another. And before you know it, um, you know, you've got a debt that, that started to snowball on its own. 
So a number of warning signs that could tell somebody where they're getting into a bit of trouble with their credit card debt um, is, are you avoiding your credit card balances? So you got multiple credit cards, you know you owe some money, but you're just not going to open the bill this month or maybe next month, and now that stack is starting to get, you know, a half inch or an inch thick. So if you start avoiding your balances, that's a really big warning sign that you've probably got some challenges coming. Uh, a second warning sign is if you're using your credit cards to borrow rather than as a substitute for paying for money that you already have. So if it's the case you can make a purchase either in cash or a credit card, and you've got the cash to pay that off right away, you're not going to get into trouble with that. You know, maybe you're just using the card to get some points or whatnot. But where you can get into trouble is if you're using your credit card for a purchase where you have no plan to pay it off. Um, or if it's the case that, you know, every month on a monthly basis, you're using a credit card to subsidize living. You know, your groceries go on the credit card or part of your rent goes on there because of a cash advance. Um, those aren't what a credit card is, is, is aimed at. And really the interest costs make it very uneconomic very quickly to use it for regular expenses. You know, another really large warning sign as well is are you shuffling payments from one credit card to another? So taking money off of one to make a minimum on another, just so that one will get unlocked for the next month, so on and so forth. So, you know, you can call that moving money around or financial Tetris or things or robbing Peter to pay Paul. It's something a lot of people end up doing, but it always has a very sad ending because eventually there'll be no more credit room to borrow. You know, maybe you'll start into the payday loans, a really high cost financing at that point, uh, but it always ends at the point where there's just no one willing to extend you any further credit that you can move around to keep the, you know, all the balls in the air. So Blair, can you talk about what happens to credit cards when you're in a personal bankruptcy and in that process? Um, what about, and secondly, what about settling credit card debt without bankruptcy? Yeah, so so both excellent topics we, we can cover here. So when you start a bankruptcy filing, you know, most people anticipate this, you turn your credit cards over to the trustee. So even if there's a card that has a zero balance, if you're filing a bankruptcy, you have to turn over the credit cards to the trustee and they get destroyed or returned to the issuer. Uh, the exception to that is if you had a third party card, you know, if your spouse had a card, you're just a co-applicant on it or an employer has a card and you know you use it for business expenses, you know, those cards you'd be able to keep and if even if you were in a bankruptcy. Uh, what happens once you sign the legal bankruptcy documents is your trustee sends a notice out to all of your creditors. He or she contacts your creditors and lets them know that there's now a stay of proceedings in effect. And what that means is essentially everybody has to back off. They can't demand any payments. They can't call you, harass you, threaten any court actions, proceed with any court actions. Essentially, everything stops once a trustee is appointed. And then what happens once you're in a bankruptcy is regardless of whether it was credit card debt, income taxes, or whatever that got you here, you focus on completing the bankruptcy duties. So at a very summary, high-level high level basis every month you're in bankruptcy you'll complete a budget you'll show the trustee what are your in what is your income and what are your expenses you'll attend two private financial counseling sessions where we'll talk to you about household budgeting about setting financial goals and about rebuilding your credit in the future and then you'll pay a monthly cost of normally about $200 a month uh, for what is typically a 9 month term of a bankruptcy um, so regardless of the amount of the credit card debt it's really driven by your income and if you're low income uh, in the bankruptcy you turn in the cards, you'd start to deal with the trustee, and as soon as nine months later, you could be discharged from the debt and moving forward to start to rebuild your credit. 
Okay, got it. Oh, and then um, you asked me one other question, Elaine, which is how yeah. can you avoid the bankruptcy and what are your options, which is very yeah. exciting as well. So for someone, you know, obviously bankruptcy is your last resort. Um, a consumer proposal is your means of avoiding a bankruptcy, but still making a significant reduction on your debts. So credit card companies in Canada are very amenable to accepting consumer proposals. Over 95% of the time when Sands & Associates files a consumer proposal, it is accepted. And the reason for that is when we do a consumer proposal, we show to the credit card companies, here's what would happen if the person filed for bankruptcy, and usually there's not very much getting paid back. And, you know, here's the option in the proposal. The person wants to offer back 25 or 30% of the debt. What do you think of that deal? Do you want to accept it? 95 times out of 100, they say, yes, we'll accept that, and then the person avoids bankruptcy. Okay. So um, can we move on then to the question, what happens when you're ready to get a new credit card? Yeah, I think that's so important because a lot of people have a misconception if they go into a bankruptcy, well, there's credit for the rest of your life. It's gone. You'll never get another credit card. And that's a complete myth. I know, I know nobody where that's been their situation. Okay. So it's, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so what happens? Well, you go through the bankruptcy, you know, obviously, um, your credit rating is going to take a pretty significant hit when you file the bankruptcy. Uh, but then once you're finished the bankruptcy, you start a rebuilding process. And we tell you exactly what to do. And, you know, there's no rocket science or mystery about it. It just starts with putting some really positive stories on your credit report that over time are going to outweigh the negative stories. So generally, what you start with is you get a secured credit card first. So a secured credit card is where you put down a deposit and you get a card with a lower limit. So maybe you put down $500, a card with a 450 limit, or $1,000, get a card with a $900 limit, something like that. But the theory behind it is the credit card company has no risk. You know, if you charge $900 on the card and you don't pay it, well, then the next month they take your deposit, they've incurred no risk. But that doesn't happen very often because a secured credit card is the means for you to demonstrate on your credit report that you're incurring obligations and you're discharging or paying those obligations on a monthly basis. So the best secured credit cards, they'll report every month to the credit bureau saying, yep, Joe incurred $500 of expenses. He paid them off. You know, R1, which R1 is perfect credit. R9 is if you file the bankruptcy or a consumer, or if you file the bankruptcy. And R7 is if you file the consumer proposal. So for every month when you're using these new secured credit cards, you're starting to get, you know, more R1s on your credit report, which again is a positive story. So typically after two to three years after you've been discharged from a bankruptcy, um, you'd start to get offers of credit without the security attached to it. And sometimes even sooner than that. So it's not the case that you're going to be untouchable for a long period of time. Uh, it is the case if you take the right steps, you know, even just a couple of years after bankruptcy, you might be able to qualify for a mortgage, you know, even beyond a credit card or, or different loans or things like that. It's far from a life sentence. What really matters um, is the steps that you take after the bankruptcy is finished. I know so many people are concerned about credit history. Uh, and how does how's that impacted after you file personal bankruptcy? Yeah, so when you finish the personal bankruptcy, a personal bankruptcy is going to be noted on your credit report for six years after your discharge. So the worst thing you could do would be just to forget about credit for six years and come back after it's all gone. Uh, essentially, you'd be starting from scratch at that point. You'd be like a, someone who comes to Canada for the first time as an immigrant. They don't have any credit because there's no history. So it's really important that you don't take that six years as the time where you need to be outside of the financial system. What you want to do during that six years is, as we mentioned, get the secured credit card, maybe do an RRA 
RSP loan around tax time, you know, really show that you're paying your obligations on a regular basis. What's really important as well is actually get a copy of your credit report after you finish the bankruptcy to make sure all of the debts are reporting correctly. Sometimes creditors, you know, through inadvertence or incompetence, they'll continue to report a debt as being delinquent, even though it's been dealt with in a bankruptcy. And you might not know if you don't pull your credit report periodically after the proceeding is closed, just to make sure everything has been updated correctly. Check out Sands and Associates, their website. It's sands-trustee.com. It's just filled with great questions and answers to a lot of questions that you may have. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So, covering all the good reasons, and I know you've just listed five, but I'm sh- there, there's lots, mm-hmm. why you should take charge of your finances now. Yeah. Not put it off. Um, and because there's good motivation, too, uh, to do that. And if you're thinking, oh, I'm not very motivated, we've got those reasons mm-hmm. why it's a good idea to take to take this on. It's a big deal. We, you get it, right? It's a big deal for people. Yeah, well, 100%. I understand, Elena. It's, it's interesting for me, excuse me, because, you know, the number one thing that I hear, I don't hear anybody regretting, oh, my God, I regret I came to see the trustee. I regret I filed this bankruptcy. I regret I did this consumer proposal. Everybody seems to regret, why did I suffer for so long? Why did I wait? Why did I take my time? Why did I flail about and just, you know, in fear and uncertainty before I took action? And Uh, you've got some, sorry, you've got some really good statistics on how many people delay, what the percentages of Mm -hmm. people who delay taking that action, which at the end of the day is really good action to take. Yeah, exactly. So we've surveyed our our client base. We've done the BC Consumer Debt Study um, every year since 2012. So we got years of really good insight and information about our clients. And what we found consistently is it's over one quarter of people. So in our most recent survey, it's about 27% of people, um, they worked for more than two years to try to manage their debts on their own from when they knew there was a problem to when they actually phoned up a trustee and came in and sat down. So two years. That's a lot. That's a long time and a big chunk of the population. 27%. Wow. Well, and it's even worse than than that. So, you know, 27% is a lot, but it's another 25%. So more than half of the population, they waited over a year. So, you know, more than 50% of people are waiting more than a year from when they know they've got a debt problem to when they actually seek some help. Um, It was less than 10% of people. So 9.5% percent of people said, hey, as soon as I knew I had a problem, I reached out for help. See, that's encouraging to me as well, that about 10% of the people took some action, because mm-hmm. I'm sure in years past, or, you know, depending on, on what, on the climate, the economic climate, people might not be so quick to take action, mm-hmm. not even that 10%. You're right, yeah, so definitely you can look at it from the positive, okay, 1 in 10 took action right away, uh, it distresses me a bit that, you know, 9 in 10 really suffered because they didn't reach out for, for help sure. right away. For Think sure. about you know, if you've got a health problem, you've got a, you know, a cavity that's killing you, a headache, or you break your leg, you don't wait to go to the doctor. You know, you get the professionals involved right away because these things don't get better on their own. They tend to get worse. So what are people who aren't taking the action? What are, you know, what are they thinking? 
What are they thinking by not taking the action? Yeah, and we asked that question, you know, why did you delay taking action? You know, the most common one, though, is that people thought that their situation would improve on its own. Um, you know, we're all eternal optimists. So, you know, quite often when I'm sitting with clients, especially if they've got their own business, it's like, you know, it's been a bad five-year stretch, but I just know next year is going to be so much better. It's going to get me out of the hole. I'm going to be just fine as I move forward. So a lot of people just think, hey, something's going to happen and things are going to get better on their own. I think it's I think it's just part of our human nature, right? Yeah, like I agree. you said. Yeah. yeah. So um, not dealing with the debts a lot of complications and consequences. Let's uh, let's talk about those a bit. Yeah, so the first one, as I alluded to, is, you know, when you're dealing with money problems, especially if there's interest being charged, you know, these things don't get better over time. They actually get worse. And the reason is that the interest and the issues actually get bigger. Um, so whether you're continuing to take on, you know, extra debt every month because you haven't dealt with your budget or if it's the case you got this debt, you're not adding to it, but because it's on a credit card, 20 to 30% interest per year, it's starting to move away from you. So, you know, if someone, for example here, if someone had a debt at 20% interest rate on a credit card, you know, normally that's about $250 minimum payment, sounds manageable, uh, but if they were to pay that off over a five-year period, they'd pay more than $6,000 in interest charges. So Crazy amount. Exactly. So more than 60% premium on what they actually owe. And if they were to just do the minimum payments, you know, that type of debt would take them decades to get out of. So if you don't deal with it quickly, the interest can really start to run away from you. And I, I like that you included, there's a bit of a formula that you can run through. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, on your own. You yeah. don't need anybody's help to do this. And what's the formula? Yeah, so most people understand, you know, a percentage of income basis. So, okay, you know, maybe a third of my income should go to rent, ideally, or mortgage. For debt, that number is 10%. So if you're spending more than 10% of your take-home pay, after-tax take-home pay, what you have your disposable income um, on debt payments, that's usually a really big warning sign uh, that things aren't moving in the right direction. And that doesn't sound like very much to me, mm-hmm. but it's a significant amount, though, you say, for looking down the road. Yeah, because it's 10% now, but if those debts keep to grow, um, that percentage of your income over time is just going to increase. Awesome. Okay. Or, I mean, not awesome, but I get it. Yeah. Um, what's the other, what's, what's the next reason why people should take action now. Yeah, you know, anybody that's been in debt is going to hear these words and do, you know, a big head nod, and that's for sure. It's debt stress is real stress. It is. So it's as stressful as anything you can imagine, you know, a physical ailment, uh, psychological ailment. It's often a combination of everything, emotional, physical, psychological, what we feel when we're in debt. It can just be an overwhelming feeling of hopelessness, of not feeling like you want to wake up in the morning. I have my clients tell me some days, you know, waking up, getting a shower, going for a walk, that was victory for them because they were so deep in the depression uh, that can be caused by feeling like you're in a hopeless situation with no way out. So, you know, common things, anxiety, um, as I said, depression, feelings of hopelessness. When we surveyed our clients, over 60% of people, we asked them, how often do you worry about your debts? Over 60% of people said the worry was constant. Wow. We never not, we were never not worrying about our debts. It makes, it makes sense that it would be all consuming. And I like that you also, it's not just, it's not just the worrying part, but there's a physical aspect to stress Mm -hmm. as well. And that can take a real toll on folks. Yeah. And what's really 
gratifying from our position at Sands and Associates, I'm sure you've heard me remark about this, Elaine, is just the transformation of the clients. Mm -hmm. From the first meeting when they come in, you can see that they're wearing their debt problems from head to toe. It's manifesting in six or seven different ways um, to where I'm seeing them for a first or a second counseling session. You know, they feel like now they're in control. They're facing things head on. So, you know, the nice thing ideally about money stress is it's got a solution. You know, it's not this, um, you know, crazy ailment that we don't know we got to do experimental research for. No, there's a solution for debt. Um, They can definitely reduce your debt stress if you don't delay too long and and suffer forever. Which kind of leads us to that third reason uh, why it's important or almost urgent to take care of your finances now is that idea, and that's part of the emotional stress is being panicked yeah. about about the situation and you can oh, oh, I can do this and then you rush ahead and do that. Exactly, yeah. So our third factor here is what we've said is, you know, panic can lead to hurried decisions and if we think about it, if your listeners think about it, you know, the best decisions you've made in your life were probably not when you felt like your back was completely against the wall, you didn't know what to do, you were just flailing about um, you know, just searching for a lifeboat, so to speak, but that's often what happens with debt. So people ignore the problem for so long that finally when they have to deal with it, meaning, you know, they've been taken to court, their wages are being seized, their assets are at risk, oftentimes they'll do anything in that moment just to make the pain stop, to, you know, to survive another day. So the most tragic thing that I often see is people cashing in their RRSPs. So anyone that listens to this show knows RRSPs are federally protected assets. They can never be taken from you, no matter if you're sued or not. Um, But if you're feeling incredibly stressed and the collection agent hits you in a moment of weakness Mm -hmm. and says, hey, you got some RRSP savings, don't you? Oh, yeah, I do. Well, well, you know you'd have to give those up on your debts anyway, so why don't you be the the good person right now and pay those to us? I've had clients again and again tell me it was a fast-talking collector that told them that basically they've got to do something that was the completely wrong decision for them. And the key, again, is that you don't have to cash in your RRSPs, whether mm-hmm. you're doing a consumer proposal, even a bankruptcy, are yeah, you covered as well? Exactly. So really important to yeah, know that. And it wasn't always like that, but for about the last eight years, it's been like that. So, you know, folks should hopefully be aware, yeah, RRSPs are safe and protected. Uh, and when you think about this panic leading to, you know, unwise decisions, you know, a lot of it is people are scared for reaching out for debt help because they're worried about being judged. They feel embarrassed. Um, you know, a full 35% of people that we studied when we said, you know, well, why did you wait? You know, part of it was I thought I could manage, but another big portion of it was just people really having the fear of sharing their problems with a professional. They're going to feel judged, feel less than, so on and so forth. And a lot of that's why we do this show, Elaine, is just to let people know that, you know, debt's a problem like any other. And our job as a trustee is not to make you feel judged. It's to help you move forward. And you have trained people in all of the offices, the 17 offices. Are we still at 17? We are. 17 offices of Sands and Associates, where that's part of the process of figuring all the, uh, all of the debt situation out and how to, and how to solve it or resolve it is, um, there's assistance there for folks mm-hmm. uh, that do feel bad and 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 some ways not to. Yeah, and then, you know, this is not a revolutionary, but it's clear to, to all of us at Sands and Associates, our clients are far more than a number on a page, far more than just a debt balance that we're going to eliminate. So we try to look at the entire person, their personal, their family situation, what's going to help them turn things around. And, you know, we can get a lot of gratification out of seeing people who become very successful after they've dealt with us. So what's the, uh, what's the, be- one of, well, the best decision? Mm-hmm. And I like this, that to take charge of the debts puts you, when you, when I come and see you about my situation, I'm now 
in a little more uh, of being in charge than I was. Yeah, I would say, you know, th- th- making the decision to deal with your debts 100% puts you in the driver's seat. So, you know, no longer are you playing defense, not wondering what's the phone going to ring, what court documents are going to show up, so on and so forth. When you've dealt with your debts, the trustee is going to tell you, here's what you say if those collectors call you. You say, I filed a consumer proposal, I filed a bankruptcy, talk to Sands and Associates, I know my rights and you're wasting my time now. Um, you know, you get armed with all the information that you need. And if you're doing a consumer proposal, there's a whole lot of pride to be said. And hey, I took charge of my situation. I worked out, here's what I could afford to repay. I made an offer through the trustee. I didn't run from anybody here. And I've got the control in that proposal. Now I'm protected. I can pay it off if I'm able to sooner. Um, I can take the full five-year term, for example. But there can be a lot of pride in saying, you know what? I'm not the person taking the incoming now. I'm the person who's executing on a strategy that's going to basically turn my life around. And this is all about hope. For There's a huge percentage of people that I know that you've talked to over you know, and part of your polling uh, that didn't know where to didn't mm-hmm. know where to go. Well, now you do, so that's in your favor. And there's a real process that Sands and Associates goes through with people who walk through the door. Yeah, and you know it's not the case. Everybody that we see, the right answer is a bankruptcy or a proposal. You know, sometimes it's some informal coaching. Sometimes it's telling them, "Hey, this debt's ten years old, and they're bothering you, but you really don't need to deal with it." Sometimes it's just arming with information. You know, giving even just a little bit of informal coaching, and then helping the person, you know, get some confidence back and understand they can manage themselves on their own. But in the situation where someone's spending more than 10% of their income on debt payments, it's pretty rare we can't do a better job for them than what they're doing right now. I think one of the most important things that you find out when you come in and sit down uh, with any of the staff at Sands and Associates in their offices is that you find out you're not alone. Like you're not the first person in the door that's got this issue. No, and, and, you know, people often, uh, not often, but sometimes, you know, they, they break down in tears and they say, you know, is this the worst story that you've heard? And I say, you know, probably today I've heard better and I've heard worse and people have been emotional and not emotional. It's a very difficult situation, but we're professionals in dealing with it and everyone feels respected every moment they walk through the door. So if you want to take that step, give them a call. You can get that free debt consultation, uh, Sands & Associates. This is their toll-free number, 1-800-661-3030. Go to the website terrific website, sands-trustee.com. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin along with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So this segment's all about student debt. And when I first started reading about what we were going to talk about, Blair, I thought, oh yeah, well, I don't have any student debt. But I know people who do mm-hmm. and that are still dealing with it. And these are, you know, professionals in their 30s and 40s in some cases. Uh, so this is really good information, not just for you if you happen to have student debt, but if you know somebody that has student debt, this is some really good ideas uh, and tips and some encouragement for mm-hmm. you on how to take it on. Yeah, it's harder than it's ever been to get a good education these days. You know, tuition's more expensive, living is more expensive, so student debt has become a fact of life for a lot of people. So it is a big issue for people. Yeah. There's no question about it. So what advice do you have uh, for current students or people even coming to the end of their studies uh, who haven't quite got that job yet or who are in line uh, to deal with the the student debt. I mean, it sounds like such a drag to be starting a new career with that big kind of 
collar of debt around your neck. Yeah, so I think there, there's different kind of layers or, or steps to that advice. So we'll go through that kind of in detail today. Um, you know, whether you're just starting out or you're out of school already. Um, you know, I think first off, just for our listeners, you know, just kind of painting the picture, we you know yeah. what, what's the significance of, of student debt as of now. Um, you know, in 2018, the Canadian University Survey Consortium, uh, they surveyed 15,000 graduating students um, and 50% of those finished with debt. So it's again, one in two now. Um, yeah. uh, dealing with student debt, and the average debt was just under $28,000. Which, in my mind, and, and and I could be completely wrong about this, that sounds like kind of a starting wage, depending on what industry you're entering mm-hmm. into. Yeah. Oh, definitely. That's, you know, a reasonable starting wage, depending on, you know, your hourly wage. But, um, but yeah, you know, that's that's a pretty significant, um, you know, stone, so to speak, around your neck. And not to say it's something that's going to drag you down. It won't if you're going to be able to earn the income to support it. Um, but it can be a challenge, um, you know, in our most recent consumer debt study, it's just under 5% of people that filed for bankruptcy or did a consumer proposal said that a student loan was the primary cause, the reason why they were dealing with their debts. You know, it's much more common and it's, you know, it's, a, it's a factor in other situations, but for 5% of people, uh, it was the main reason why they were doing a bankruptcy or a proposal was because of the student debt. Because they couldn't get out of it and mm-hmm. then everything else just added on top of it. The yeah. student debt, uh, as we know, and I know that we're going to talk about that in this segment, uh, it's... It's a challenge to deal with. There's not a lot of wiggle room, mm-hmm. so to speak. Yeah, it's the government. Government's got more power than anybody else, as, as all of our longtime listeners would know here. Yeah. Um, so in terms of advice from before... Yeah. what do you do? So before you're a student, um, you know, first off is, again, coming back to that classic idea of making a budget and figuring out what do you actually need. So, you know, figure in your tuition, your books, your rent, groceries, other costs of living. Um, Think about, can you get a part-time job? Can you be a TA? Can you mark? Can you do various different things uh, to defray some of the costs Uh, and have a backup plan? You know, in in the event that you can't make that that sort of income, um, you know, is there anything that you're going to be able to do to fill the gap? Is there any other sources of parental or, or family resources there? Um, also be careful that, um, you know, if you're awarded a bunch of money and you don't need it, don't take it. Don't you know, take it. Just because the government's going to give you $10,000, not give you, loan you $10,000, uh, and you only need 7000 it's generally not a wise decision to say, oh, well, I don't have to pay interest on this for a few years. Let me just take this money. I'm sure it'll come in handy somewhere. Uh, years down the road, you won't remember what that extra money went for, but you can bet you're going to curse that you took more student loan than you actually needed because you will be paying it back with interest. See, I think this is really good information for parents of students as well, right? Mm-hmm. Especially the budget part. Yeah. Uh, Really, really good idea. So, what what about other resources? What 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 is available to students these days? Yeah, so RESPs are you know relatively new in the last ten years ish or so. So, ideally, a lot of current students are fine. There are some resources they can access through there. So, you know, obviously, make sure you know if your parents have an RESP or right. another and family that's member something has started that, it. That a parent starts. Yeah. Uh, now with advent of the internet, obviously, it's easier than ever to find out more and more about scholarships, bursaries, awards, different things that you can apply for. Uh, I remember I went to York University, and uh, back then, I would type into Google, you know, different awards, bursaries for the business school, and I found things that people wouldn't apply for every year. I applied for them. It was $500 here, $300 there, you know, essentially free money from just completing a pretty simple application. So really make sure you've turned over all the stones for bursaries, awards, um, different things you might not be aware of, and they might be 
little bit under uh, under the radar because they could be small dollar amounts each, maybe just a few hundred dollars, but in aggregate, that can really make a difference. Yeah, they can really add up quickly or even just be a real foundation mm-hmm. uh, to, to start out on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so sort of general tips on how to manage student loans, if you got any of those. Yeah, so once you've graduated, so first off, you need to know what are the loans that I have? You know, are they government, non-government? What are the grace periods? So typically it's six months after you've graduated is when you have to start paying interest, but the interest is charged right away. So be aware of that uh, and be aware of what day the payments are due. The last thing you want uh, is that you're continually paying your student loans or your lines of credit late. Uh, even though you're making the payments, you're not making them on time and that's putting a negative notation, even though your behavior is actually quite good. Now, I like that you've incre- included the uh, idea that don't rely on more credit to bridge that gap between your income and expenses. Yeah, that's, the, again, the classic thing that we see a lot is just a broken budget. So people have graduated. Um, they've got some access to credit because at Frosh Week, you know, they were offered about three or four different credit cards. And, you know, every every bank wants to get everyone hooked young these days, it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, so people find, oh, my God, my rent's so expensive. It costs too much to live. I want to have a little bit of fun. And then suddenly every month there's a few hundred dollars that's going on the credit cards and not getting paid off. So you need to be very careful that whatever budget that you have, you've budgeted in there for your student loan repayment and that it balances, that there's not a gap that's going to be filled with credit every month. Are student financial assistance offices much help for folks? They definitely can be. So, you know, government regulations are changing all the time. You know, uh, even in election cycles, governments often Mm. talk about, you know, various income thresholds for when you won't have to pay back or changes in grace periods. Um, So the best way to know what exactly is happening is to speak to your student financial aid office. Okay. So let's look at some strategies to deal with student loan debt. And I know that that you as a licensed insolvency trustee are often helping people, and you mentioned it the first off, that student debt was the first thing that got somebody into uh, a jam and, Mm -hmm. and debt accumulated after that. Yeah, so there's definitely things you can do to deal with your student loan, and the trustee can help you with those. Now, student debt is treated differently than just about any other debt in Canada because, you know, essentially the government, from what they say, they're an involuntary creditor. You know, they advance student loans to just about anybody without really considering about credit worthiness or, or likely repayment. So what that means in the law is that once you graduate, if you do a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal, and it hasn't been seven years since you were last a student, you'll get the relief of that bankruptcy your proposal during the time you're doing it so no one can collect from you harass you or anything like that but when you finish the bankruptcy or the proposal the student loan debt is still going to be owed by you so if you've got a ton of student loans and you're out of school a year or two going bankrupt on those isn't going to solve the problem it would eliminate other debts if those are a big problem you still might want to do it but it's not going to solve the problem if it's been less than seven years so for anyone if it's been more than seven years absolutely you can restructure a student loan you can do a consumer proposal usually offer back a third or a half of the debt or something reasonable or if that's not possible you can do a bankruptcy Uh, but if it's been less than seven years it still makes sense to speak with a trustee because we can give you a a lot of coaching, a lot of insight in how you can face the debt, uh, maybe try to negotiate some lower payments for a period of time. Uh, But again, the seven-year waiting period makes it a little bit more difficult to restructure the debt straight out of school. But I can understand the objectives there too. You want everyone to graduate, work their best, try to earn a lot of income. You know, the number one objective is to pay the student loan back, not to have to restructure it. Yeah, and I'm sure the idea of, of having to take some action is a bit daunting for young people too, just starting out a bankruptcy 
bankruptcy, especially thinking that that might be an option. But you're going to help them figure that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bankruptcy would only be the option if there's no other option. And I can't see, you know, recommending to someone that they would go bankrupt if it's not going to deal with their student loans. Now, in some cases, you know, someone might be a fresh graduate, they've gotten into an ICBC accident, they've had a million dollar liability assessed against them, they probably need to go bankrupt, even though the student loan is going to survive, at least they're going to deal with the other massive debt. Uh, But for the most part, it's best to try to work, earn income for a few years, see what's the best you can do. And usually the government's going to be relatively reasonable for the first few years. It's when they start to start seizing your wages, seizing your assets, sending you over to collection agencies. That's when you'd want to reach out for help. Now, if any of this information is ringing a bell for you and you want to get some some either advice or some help, give them a call, Sands & Associates. You can get a confidential free debt consultation. This is their 1-800 number, 661-3030. Go to their website. It's also terrific, sands-trustee.com to learn more. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.